That was great. Well, we're looking at this series this month. We're looking at the life of Jonah. And um, if you've missed uh, any of the weeks... Oh, there we go. I jumped the gun, didn't I, back there? <laughs> I was just excited. Oh. All right, Dave, you were right on. I was off. My bad. Well, we're looking at this series on Jonah, and uh, we've been looking at the life of Jonah. And if you miss any of the weeks up till now, I, I want to encourage you to go to the website, to windoverhills.org, and you can catch up on those. That's, a, that's an interactive website that we have there. So if you're like, oh, they have a website, or I knew we had a website, but I've never gone there, uh, you can get things like that on there. So the last two weeks are on there. This week it will be on there, as well as everything that's going on here. And I'd encourage you to catch up on those messages uh, in Jonah. So Jonah's this guy who lived over 2,700 years ago. I mean, that's a long time ago. And uh, usually when we think of somebody uh, that old, uh, we think they probably don't have anything in common with me, right? Anything in common with how I live my life or my struggles or my concerns or my worries or the things I run into in my life or that I'm going through. And But the amazing thing is, as we look at the life of Jonah and we look at this guy closely, we find that the choices he made, the things that were laid before him, the things he ended up doing, there is so much in common with my life, with my decisions, and how I often make my decisions. And so this has been a perfect book for us for us to get into and see about the life of Jonah. And we've seen some of this already on how it relates to us. You know, the first thing we learned a couple of weeks ago is that Jonah, like many of us, he decided to run from God, right? And that's what he did. Instead of going to the farthest known city in the east, which was Nineveh, where God asked him to go, he went to the farthest known city in the west, Tarshish, as about as far away from God's call. I mean, this is like a definite I'm running type statement that Jonah made. That's what we learned that first week. You remember the story. He was in a boat. The sea became really rough and stormy. They cast lots. The lot fell on Jonah. Uh, Jonah fessed up. He said, I'm the problem. And he said, just throw me overboard and it'll all be all right. Uh, They didn't want to do that. They kind of did their own thing instead. And so they rowed as hard as they could, the sailors, but nothing, nothing worked. The storm just got worse and worse and worse. Finally, they said, all right. And they threw him overboard. Jonah, we learned last week, he sinks down to the bottom of the sea here, and he's swallowed by this large fish. And for the next three days, while he was in the belly of this fish, he decided to stop running from God and to start running to God. He cried out, is what the scripture said. And he says, it says he repented of his sin, repented of his sin, and God provided. How did God provide? God gave him a second chance. Jonah was vomited out onto the dry land. That was his second chance. He was now out on dry land again. God gave him forgiveness and a second chance at the call that he gave him originally in the the first chapter of Jonah. And so like many of us today, we might be in situations like Jonah. Maybe not in the belly of a well or sinking down to the bottom of a sea, but we're in a, a situation where sometimes you've said, no, God, no. I'm not going to do that. I know it's what your word tells me. I know that you have directly called me, but uh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I've got my own plan. And, and maybe you ran that plan a while and you saw the results and maybe it didn't end up quite like you had hoped it would end up. Or maybe you're there right now, today. I mean, that's your story at this moment. You're still running from God. You're still running. Today, I think you're going to have the opportunity to learn what the opposite is. When, what Jonah did when he said, I'm going to obey you, God. I'm not going to run. 
I'm going to obey. Or maybe you've run and you've cried out to God, and what you're sitting here today asking is, is that second chance available for me as well? Was that special to Jonah, or is it available for me as well? And I think today you're going to see in our story here that uh, not only is it available, you're going to see what happens when God gives a second chance and when we're willing to follow that and follow God. So we're going to jump right into it. Um, You see, today we're not going to simply talk about running from God as we have. We're not going to even necessarily rest on running back to God as we talked about before. We're going to talk about something that I think is maybe more exciting than either one of those, and that's what we're designed to do. It's our purpose that God has designed us, and that is to run with God. That's what our focus is today, is to to really run with Him, to be with Him, to be hand-in-hand, side-by-side, connected with his purpose and his will for our life and to follow him for our dreams and our goals. So that's, that's our focus. Uh, because when we do this, um, there's some times where we don't exactly know what's next, right? When we follow God, there's some times when we follow God where we don't even know what's going to come around the bin and we don't get the full plan laid out. But we do know that it's an amazing adventure. It's an amazing adventure when we choose to follow God filled with a lot of risk. I liken it to like, uh, like John McClane going into the Nakatomi Plaza on Christmas Eve. Do you remember this story? Yeah, thank you guys, some of, some of you. Yeah, he didn't know that the building was about to be taken over by bad guys that he would have to hunt down and kill. But it sent him on the adventure of his life, at least until Die Hard 2 and then Die Hard 3 and Die Hard 4. Those were other adventures of a life, but... <laughs> When you can get to the place, when you and I can get to that place where we are running with God, that's the adventure that's out there for us. That is the most exciting adventure that's there in front of us. So how do we do that? That's the question this morning. If you have your Bibles, Jonah chapter 3 is where we'll be the whole morning. And if you didn't on your way in get uh, the sermon notes, if you just slip your hand up, Richard's in the back, he's going to get those to you this morning. Yeah. So uh, uh, just grab those and you can track through it. So how do we get a life running with God? Well, the first thing we got to learn is how to hear God's call. That's what we got to do. We got to hear God's call. It's where it all starts. Listening to God's voice is where it all starts for us. Listen to what Jonah 3 says right at the beginning. When the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, second chances, remember? Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. You see, God spoke to Jonah again. We often think if we blow it with God, if we run from God, if we disobey God, if we lived a few years in sin and then we repented to come back to God, that we're still worthless and can't be used and God no longer wants to speak to us. Well, guess what? We're all in that category. (laughs) We've all blown it. We've all run from God. We've all lived a life of sin. We all repented, right, at some point. Or my prayer is this morning even would be the time that you repent. And guess what? God speaks to us. If he didn't speak to people a second time, guess what? He wouldn't be speaking to anybody (laughs) because we're all there. That's us. For many of us, we just don't hear God's voice. We don't hear it. You know, I want you to know this morning, it's not because God is not still speaking. He's still speaking. He's still in the business of communicating to his creation. He's still in the business of calling us to think. Even when we disobey God and we're running, God's still speaking. He really is. He's trying to get our attention. But if we're not careful, especially as Americans in this day and age, we say we can't hear God's often because we're just too busy. We're too busy. We, we say we have so many things going on and, and God's still speaking, but we're not listening because our schedule doesn't always allow to, to hear him. 
to be silent before him and to know what he might be saying to us. I mean, when's the last time you had a conversation with somebody and they said, you know, I'm really never busy. That's not how we talk. We always say, I'm just so busy. I'm so busy. But when we're too busy, we do, we just ax out God's voice. Let's though, could we stop calling ourselves too busy to hear from God? Too busy to get into his house? And can we acknowledge at least the fact that we're making choices? We've made a choice not to hear God's voice. I mean, think about it. When we get into our car, what's the first thing you do? Uh, You sit sit quietly, contemplated, waiting for the Lord to speak to you about the direction of your life. Um, No, we turn on the radio, right? You don't even have to turn on the radio. It's already on. You just have to turn your car on. It never goes off. And the music is going. Or we put the iPod in or we stick the little earbuds in our ear. Or when we get home uh, after a day, well, what do you do? We spend some time going to our room, maybe chilling out for a little while and just reflecting. No, we, I mean, we plop right down on that couch and get the TV rolling and, and get, that, get that noise going. And if we got to do something, we at least get it going for background noise, right? Um, I know you say, Tom, you know, but I don't listen to the, uh, watch those bad shows. I only watch documentaries. So I, I know, I know that line of reasoning because um, I, I use it many times. I'm not sure. I might have even invented it. So, uh, but, or what about when we go out to eat with some friends or a group of friends and it comes time in the conversation when there's one of those like awkward pauses, you know, where like maybe two or three seconds or nobody's actually saying anything. You're just kind of staring and it's incredibly awkward. And uh, almost always somebody eventually blurts something out to break the awkward silence, right? You know, as you're sitting there. uh, So how's your puppy? (laughs) Or something to break the silence, anything to break the silence, right? Because it's awkward. It's, it's uncomfortable, right? Okay, um, let, let's just do this for a second, all right? Um, if we, let's just be, be quiet for a second. I'm going to say for 10 seconds, nobody speak. Nobody move. Don't get up to go to the bathroom. For 10 seconds, let's just go quiet, all right? You ready? Okay, go. Okay, 10 seconds. Finally, get there. Now, somebody, I saw you, like, closed your eyes to, um, I don't know, meditate or something or to focus in, uh, draw some inner strength to make it 10 seconds. I'm not quite sure. That's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to make it even 10 seconds of silence and quietness. It's hard. Here's a verse that I think we have to know. We have to plug this verse into our head, memorize it if you need to, uh, but it's the cornerstone of hearing God's will. It comes from Psalm 46.10. It says, be still and know that I am God. Be still. It's a pretty strong directive for us that we need to be still so that we can know that God is God. Can I make a confession to you this morning? That's pretty difficult for me. (laughs) I'm an extrovert. I draw my energy from people, which means I kind of like background noise going on most of the time. I kind of like a life with some noise happening. And if the conversation is not rolling, I like, to, I like to blurt something out and keep it rolling. And so it's hard. It's hard for me. But here's the thing, and there's really no way of getting around this for us if you're in the same boat as me. If we choose not to be quiet before God, we often choose to not hear his voice, period. If we choose seven days of too busy, we choose not to let him direct us day to day. That's what's going on. 
So just because it's more difficult, and I'm somebody that can say, that's not how I'm wired, doesn't mean it's not the best thing for me. Because it's what God's word just directed us to do. Hey, here's a practical step. If you're currently spending like zero quiet time with God, now some of you are like you're in quiet time every day. But if you're one that you would say like, I have no quiet time. I mean, sometimes I tell people I have quiet time because that's what a Christian's supposed to do. But in my real life, I have no quiet time before God. Here's a little practical step. Take five minutes. Five minutes. Who doesn't have five minutes? And for three minutes, just read the scripture, uninterrupted, read the scripture. You say, well, what scripture should I read for only three minutes? Doesn't really matter all that much. Just get in God's word. If you're really confused, jump in the gospels, read something about Jesus. All right? Three minutes, just read the scripture. For one minute, reflect on that scripture and what it might tell you in your life. What's it telling you directly in your life? And then for one minute, pray. Lord, help me put that scripture into place this morning and this day in my life. Five minutes. Now, this is just the starting point for you. You know, if, you, if you're now doing an hour a day, don't say, oh, well, I only have to do five minutes. Why am I wasting this hour a day? No, that's not what we're talking about. This is the starting point of getting into time with God. So if you're not being quiet before God, take that little five-minute challenge and get, get in the Word. How do we get a life running with God? We got to hear God's call. We have to hear His voice. Secondly, we have to obey God's Word right? That's pretty simple, right? What Christian wouldn't know that? It's not always as as easy, though, as it is simple. Once we've heard God's voice, once we've heard him spoken, we just simply need to obey. That's what Jonah did in chapter 3 here. It's a total opposite of chapter 1. Have you ever had a, a time in your life where you look back and you go, man, I really wish I had done that different. I would have done the total opposite thing if I could live it all over today. Like you say, maybe... Man, I wish I had not bought that car and ended up with those car payments. Or I wish I had not said that to my spouse or my boss because now I'm out of work. Uh, I wish I had not said that. Uh, I wish I had not eaten those three bowls of chips and salsa at Rio Grande. Um, I'm just practicing for later today uh, what I might say. You remember early in our series, Jonah said, I am not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And he heads the opposite direction. In chapter 3 today, he obeys. That's what he does. Take a look at it. Uh, Jonah 3, 3. Jonah obeyed, and the word of God, the word of the Lord, went and went to Nineveh. You see, uh, this is a very simple thing, right? For most of us, we think we obey God regularly, right? We think we obey because we have a general uh, understanding of our own life that we're more good than we are bad. So therefore, we obey God regularly, Right? Have you ever heard of the concept of the neutral zone? It's like a a free base in uh, maybe a tag game or hide and seek, you know, where if you touch, you know, if I touch the couch, I, uh, you can't tag me, I can't tag you during that time. It's kind of like pause, everything's on hold, that neutral zone concept. That kind of sounds like fun. Maybe uh, afterwards we'll do a little hide and seek, maybe a little adult hide and seek uh, here, right here in the church. Of course, I'm thinking I might go hide and you might go home. So, uh... (laughs) Maybe we'll not do that game. This neutral zone concept, it's really seeped into how we as Americans often live out our Christian lives. We say things like, well, there's nothing that bad about it, or it's not hurting anyone, or the Bible doesn't say I can't do it. And we create a zone where, where many things in our life is what we just say neutral. It's neutral. It isn't sin, but it isn't building up my Christian life either. Now, listen carefully. If we spend most of our time in the neutral zone, guess what? 
the more we're going to miss being a part of what glorifies God. The more we're going to miss being a part of what builds us up in the faith. The more we're going to miss what, what it is that launches us out to do his mission and to be a part of his purpose here on the earth. Simply, God's will, it isn't hanging out in the neutral zone. It's not there. So if we live our Christianity there, we miss out. What does this mean? I think it means for Christians, for most of us here today, God is calling us to something greater, a greater even level of obedience, an obedience that's not centered on just the checklist of, I didn't get drunk last night, or I didn't use that drug, or I, I didn't you know, sin in my anger, but an obedience that draws us into action, an obedience that draws us out to serving our world and caring for others around us. It's a different level of obedience. And so if we don't, we often are choosing to put ourselves outside of where he's working. Outside of where he's working is that disobedience. Well, take a look at Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 here. It says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, God wants us to be different. That's the bottom line. As Christians, we're, we're designed to be different. He wants us to live a life that is ushering in his perfect will. Not simply a, well, I guess that's okay will, or that's not really that bad will. That's not his will. He has more for you and I to experience. If we're not careful, we never experience this level of obedience from God. And therefore, we, we never really experience this full adventure of what a life trusting in God and following Jesus Christ is all about. James, in the book of James, he hits us really hard with this verse that may be another good one for you to memorize and to have just right there on the front edge of your head as you go throughout your day. He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. As I read that verse, I think, Do not merely listen to the word, do what it says. And I would read that verse and go, Okay, yeah, that's good. I can do that. But he throws in that little, and do not deceive yourself. It makes me contemplate. How have I been focusing on my disobedience, or on my obedience? Am I obeying all God has called me to be and all he has called me to do uh, in this world? James says the danger is that we often deceive ourselves into thinking that we're hearing God's word and that's enough. So he breaks it down really simple for us. He says, go do it. Get out there. And do it. Do what God's word is teaching. In chapter 3, Jonah is running from God because, uh, running with God because he decides to obey God. The next thing we see right away is that Jonah is called to proclaim God's message. He's called to proclaim God's message. God may be asking you and I to say something to this world that they think, that they know they need to hear, that God knows they need to hear. That's what Jonah needed to do. That was his next step. He was to proclaim God's message. Take a look at chapter 3, verse 4. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. That's his message. God's purpose for Jonah was simple. He wanted him to go to a specific town and to share one specific message. That's it. That's all. And God is saying, Jonah, if you'll do that, I'll take it from there. I just need you to follow that and go do it. Simple plan, right? Well, yeah, but let's remember about Nineveh. Remember, Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire. At that time, a huge city, powerful, influential, wealthy city. 
And we find also that Nineveh is one of the most wicked, cruel, and violent people in the known world. Listen to the words of the historian uh, Farrar from his book, Minor Prophets, as he describes the Assyrian civilization. Listen to this. The Assyrian Empire was known for its cruelty, judged from the vaunting inscriptions of her king, not powerless, more useful, more powerful, more terrible, cast its gigantic shadow on the page of history as it casts on the way to ruin. The kings of Assyria tormented the miserable world and how they flung away the bodies of soldiers like so much clay, how they made pyramids of human heads, how they burned cities, how they filled populous lands with death and devastation, how they waited in small desert with carnage of soldiers, how they scattered whole countries with the corpses of their offenders, how they impaled heaps of men on stakes and shrewn them over the mountains and choked rivers with dead bones. Simple mission, right, for Jonah? Simple mission. Anyone want to sign up for that one? Yeah, you can see. Uh, just go down, tell these wicked people that they better ret- repent, and that, or in 40 days their town is all going to be destroyed. That's the simple message. We can understand why Jonah in chapter 1 said, no way, I'm out of here. Forget that, God. Get somebody else to do that. We can see why he runs from God. It's a daunting task to go to the most violent, most evil people on the face of the earth and tell them, you're about to be destroyed. You know, I, I think uh, we could understand Jonah's resistance. I think of uh, like some of those action movies where the drug cartel is there, you know, and the guys are standing around and machine guns everywhere and the, the drug manufacturing is going on and back and they all have their like 80s, you know, police sunglasses on and uh, they're manning the posts out there. Now, God says, hey, I want you to go just walk into that compound and tell those people, hey, um, you're all wicked, you're all going to hell and... Um, uh, in just a couple of days, your, your whole lab, this whole headquarters is going to be destroyed. Uh, none of us would want that job. We wouldn't want to do something like that. No matter how much adventure and risk that might be, we'd say, yeah, no way. No way we're not going to do that. But Jonah goes this time. He obeys this time. Why? Why does Jonah go this time? Why is it any different in chapter 3? I think it's different for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, I think Jonah has realized God is more powerful He's just simply more powerful. We learn, basically, that God has got this. He can handle it. That's what Jonah's thinking. This time, God can do it. The Bible says, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Who's in you? It's the Holy Spirit living inside of you. When you say yes to faith, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. The Holy Spirit, that third member of the Trinity, meaning that in a very real way, God dwells in you as well. And so greater is the one that lives in you than the one that's in the world. We learn that there is more power with God. And that's what Jonah is grasping onto here. Have you ever just not done something because you're just, you're just a little fearful you're too weak, but you know God called you to it? God's more powerful. That's what it says. Maybe standing up to the person that you know, that you know might be abusing you verbally or, or otherwise. God says there's more power here sharing your faith, even though it might bring about some ridicule. You might even be labeled something that uh, is not pleasant in our world to be labeled. You see, when you've opened your life to, the, to Jesus Christ, for him to lead, then you've opened your life to his power and his greatness. And to the, you can rest on his protection as well. Secondly, I think Jonah realized that life is better when we follow God. I think he just realized that if I obey God and I do what he's asked me to do, life will just be better. 
Listen to what John says in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Sometimes we mistakenly translate this as only meaning eternal life. You know, I come that they might have eternal life. That's great. One day I'm going to heaven, right? But no, if you really break down the passage, it's talking also about real physical day-to-day life, what you and I live all the time, every single day. And he's saying here that your day-to-day existence can be filled with incredible joy and fulfillment. God is saying here in this verse, as Jesus, Jesus' words, live it up. Live it up. That's what you're called to do as believers. You can live it up. How? By living a life that's consistent with the Holy Scriptures. Jesus is saying if we live a life that's in obedience to God, consistent to what his word has to say, it just simply brings about better life. Brings about better life. If we love our spouse the way 1 Corinthians tells us to love our spouse, and guess what? We have a long, fruitful marriage. We have a long marriage that thrives, right? If we love the way God's word tells us to love, if we hold to our commitments the way God says to hold to our commitments along with the way we love, guess what? Kids aren't going back and forth to, to mom and dad on different weekends. Why? Because God said if we, if we could live our life in obedience to his word, then it's incredible life. Now, maybe this morning you say, but I've already blown it. I mean, I've already been divorced in that area. I've already had something happen uh, in that area. Kids do go back and forth. That's the beauty of the story of Jonah. There's second chances. When we're willing to come and surrender before God, there's second chances and we get it. God says, I'll bring you the life you've hoped for. Jonah learned the hard way, but he learned. He learned. You might be learning the hard way this morning, but are you learning? Learn it, because there's better life. Men this morning, I think this point of proclaiming God's message is something that's the most exciting part of our faith in Christianity. Why? Because I think for men, we crave adventure in life, right? We crave some adventure. We're, willing, we're even willing to take some risk in our life. We want a little bit of adventure. When we were pursuing our spouse, now we looked at it kind of as an adventure, right? We looked at it as, as uh, you know, almost rescuing the damsel in distress. Now, she didn't look at it that way, man, okay? I'm just telling you straight up. But uh, we want adventure. And this is adventure, guys. When we choose to proclaim God's message, when we choose to tell people, I'm a believer, I believe Jesus Christ, and I've surrendered my life, and because of that, my marriage looks like this, my life looks like this, that's, that's a risk. It's a risk, but it brings incredible reward when we're willing to do that. And guess what, men? If you're willing to proclaim that message of adventure with Jesus Christ, the men you know will respond to that adventure. They will. And they'll come to know Jesus Christ too. My prayer is that you'll be the one leading them to it, maybe at work or otherwise. So if we can go through these first three steps, hear God's word, obey them, and then proclaim his message, then we get to step back out of the way and we get to trust God's power. That's what really happened to him. God says, look, I'll take it from here. I've got this. I'll run with it. That's what happens in Jonah's story. He did his part and then God took over. Check out uh, starting in verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. I mean, wait a second here. That is huge. Don't jump past that passage for just a second. The Ninevites, this cruel, violent people, they believed God. This is a major, major shock. 
that they would do this. Think of Jonah coming in, knowing what he knew about the Ninevites, knowing that he had just put his life in jeopardy running from God. Now he goes, and that simply, the Ninevites believed in God. And this is a huge, a huge major upset, like in athletics, where an underdog team wins or something like that. I mean, this is a major, major upset. This is like maybe um, UNC actually beating Kentucky in the postseason tournament. So, all right, I'm sorry. I've been building that up for a year, looking for the right opportunity to slip that in. And sorry, Ryan. So, all right, back to the passage here. The Ninevites believed God, and, and look at the effect it had on the people. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's uh, warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Now, wait a second. What's sackcloth here? For people in ancient times, when they wanted to repent of a wrongdoing or when they wanted to mourn a death, or maybe they just basically wanted to let people know what they were feeling or what they were experiencing on the inside, they'd take off their best clothes and they'd put on their worst clothes. And that was, that was the sackcloth for most people. And so that's what's happening here. It's this outward expression of what's happening on the inside. So listen to what the king of this entire civilization says. This is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. I mean, he even wanted the cows to look as if they were mourning here as well, the sackcloth on them. They had to fast as well. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. It's amazing. These people did an entirely one, the entire 180, I mean, completely turned around. And they started doing things they had never done before. They said, let us pray. Let's call out on God. Let's ask for forgiveness. Let's try to do everything we can on the outside so that he, God, understands what we are experiencing in our heart, in the inside, what our hearts are feeling. Their sackcloth meant something, meant something deep to them. You see, if we're not careful, sometimes we get the outside correct, but the heart and the insides never really surrendered to God, or we've held back at least something that affects our life. As Christians, maybe sometimes we wear the Christian t-shirt as we're engaged in a disobedient action. Or we might check the status on our Facebook that says Christian, but our posts might be filled from time to time with some slander on somebody else. Or men, uh, maybe you've gone out with a group of guys and at, right as the food's coming, you know, somebody's just getting and finishing the punchline of that sexual joke. And then we hear, um, let's pray now. <laughs> oh Lord, thine art greatness of glory given to this bountiful harvest. We're like, what? It doesn't match up. It doesn't connect. No, God wants our sackcloth to mean something. That's right. He wants our sackcloth to mean something. God wants our heart and when God has my heart, you know, most often the actions take care of themselves. When God really has my heart. The Ninevites said, hey, we did wrong. They owned up to the sin. They said, forgive us of our violence, our evil ways. Forgive us of blocking you out in your life. Listen to this. If you want real life change, it will not happen without heartfelt repentance 
of what we may have done. Life change won't happen without real repentance of our sin. Now, guys, I, I've been reading the book of Jonah and been writing these, and, you know, in our contemporary church, postmodern world, man, sin, we don't want to talk about sin that much because people will run from the church when they hear about sin, right? And so even for myself, there's times when I think, how do I get, how do I get around saying that? And in studying Jonah, I'm like, man, there's no way. There's no way for me to get around saying it, but there's no way for me to get around living it as well. That if I want life changed, it only will happen with heartfelt repentance of what I might have been doing or of what my sin might have been. It's true for you, and it's true for me as well. Listen, if you're in a place today where you feel like you've blocked God from your life, I mean, maybe you just go along and you work your job your way or you run your business your way or, you know, your family functions the way it functions without really bringing God into it. Maybe there's a secret addiction that you might have even convinced yourself that God doesn't even see. If that's you this morning, how about just setting your heart on the testimony of the Ninevites here this morning? That if you're willing to repent, if you're willing to just drop, if you're willing to just fess up, come clean, guess what? God's there. God's there to receive it. I mean, this is what Jonah got to see. Jonah got to see himself get the ball rolling by obeying God, and then God took over. And God ran with it from that point, speaking to the Ninevites. I mean, this was really, this was an impossible conversion. I mean, if you think living in the belly of a whale for three days was impossible, the conversion of this entire civilization is just ridiculous to think that this happened. You know what Jonah really got to see here? He got to see God's grace. That's what he got to see. This time around, when Jonah obeyed and he preached to the Ninevites, the Ninevites repented, they turned their life, and this is what God did. Check out verse 10. When God saw that they, what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. God's plan was to wipe these people out, right? I mean, he told Jonah twice to go share this message with the people. He saw that they had brought destruction on the world. I mean, he saw that they had brought evil and death into the world or on the world. But they repented. They turned from their ways. And it was clear. It was genuine and real. Parents, do you ever uh, get after your kids for doing something uh, that, uh, or not doing something they were supposed to do? Like maybe finish the dishes or clean up their room or take out the trash or those type of things. Ever get on your kids about that? Yeah? Is it just me? So, because, okay, because I was thinking I maybe had to confess something wrong. Um, Yeah, and you know your child might respond, uh, I'm sorry, sorry, you know. Isn't it amazing that as parents we are gifted with this inept ability right away to tell just by a slight, subtle tone of voice whether that sorry is sincere or not? We know in an instant, right, if it's sincere or not. And if it's not, I mean, if we don't hear what we wanted to hear with sincerity, uh, we sometimes come back with our own phrase, something like, well, sorry doesn't cut it, <laughs> which we know is not biblically accurate. But, uh, but what we really mean by that, what we're really trying to say is, I want you to mean it. I want you to mean it when you say it. I want your heart to be sorry. And when our kids come to us with real deep, heartfelt apology, how do we respond? With love right away, often an embrace right away. I mean, there might be a little a lesson teaching punishment for them, but, we, but we, un, we let them know how much we love and how proud of them we are for saying that. 
Sometimes we get the wrong view of God, like he's waiting for us to screw up. And he's waiting with that rolled up newspaper so he can whack us across the head with it. That's what he wants to do, right? That's not the message of the Bible. That's not the God of the Bible. The message of the Bible is that we have a God who is crazy in love for us. He loves us so much that he's willing to give us free will to choose whether to obey him or not to obey him. He loves us so much, gives us so much purpose and mission. He wants nothing more than to draw us into right relationship with him. And so he is waiting for us. He's waiting for us. And the moment we turn and say, Lord, forgive me, guess what? He's ready to say, all right, let's pick up and go. Let's pick up and go. That's why this church exists as well. And we really, our purpose is to help one more person find their way back to God. That's our purpose. Why? Because we know that there is a loving God waiting to embrace them and to forgive them. We know that. If you have a friend or a family member right now, not here this morning, but somebody you say, you know, they just need to, they just need to give it up, confess it, repent before God. Guess what? The message to that person, God is waiting for them. God is waiting to forgive them, to embrace them, and to help them start a new life. That's what's available for you today as well. If you're a Christian who, who needs to own the example of, of Jonah, who's crying out in chapter 2, and God given a second chance, you need to know this morning it's available for you. I mean, what would it look like this morning? I mean, right now, this morning, what would it look like for you to say, I'm going to take that second chance and I'm going to discover what a life of obedience is like. Or maybe you don't even know God yet and you wouldn't say that you're living like the Ninevites. I mean, you, don't have, you haven't even put any heads on stakes lately. Uh, but you know the message. You know the message might be the same for you. Trouble, mess, destruction lies in your future. If you don't make some mid-course correction, what would it look like today? I mean, today... If you just decided to let Jesus come in and be the Lord of your life. I want you to listen to a testimony of somebody who's experienced what we're talking about today and what God did in his life. Thank you. 
How about you? You don't need to have an addiction like Eric shared to be running from God. You don't have to have had that. But you do need what Eric shared at the beginning, a testimony of running with God, because it just simply brings better life. How do we do what we're talking about here today? Let's put a bow on this thing. The application phrase that I want to encourage you with, to dwell on, is this. Put your faith into action. Put your faith into action. The whole story of Jonah, it's simply reminding us of the simple principle of putting our faith out there, putting into action, letting it dictate who we are and how we live our life. Chapter 1 shows the downside of running from God. Chapter 2 shows what crying out to God and that it brings a second chance to our life. And then chapter 3 shows us what happens when we launch our faith into action. In the New Testament, James words it like this, and, and this can be a hard passage for us to grab and to really own, but hear it. James says, what good is it, brothers and sisters, if somebody claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. But somebody will say, well, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. 
See, James is driving home a point to us that, that God wants us to run with him. And running with him shows up in our actions, shows up in how we live our lives, shows up in how we care for people. This is what God is saying to us today. He's saying, listen to my voice, hear my call, obey me. But it's also like he says sometimes, thank you for being in worship here today. Thanks for being in my house. I can speak to you in this place. This is a good place for you to be. It's why my word says to be here so often. It's important that you're here is what God tells us. But then he says, but I want you to start, what I want you to do is starting in about five minutes is to go out and live it, to live it everywhere outside of here. When you leave these doors, go do something that I'm calling you to do. Live it out by how you interact with people, your kindness, your compassion. I'm going to live it out by how, how you're, you're a good steward with your money, being generous to others uh, in, every, in every bit of how you use your money. You're disciplined to the tithe. Live it out in how you manage your schedule. Don't just squeeze out the voice of God by your busyness. He says, live it out by how you manage uh, what you do and how you serve wherever you go. There's always these opportunities to care for people. Live it out by how you invite people to church or, or better yet, how you talk to them about Jesus or even invite them into a relationship with Jesus. It's really that simple, faith in action, yet it's that profound. Jonah shows us this. And you know what? I think, I think we're able. I think we're capable here of running with God. This morning, you might be in all stages of the three chapters that we talked about this morning. You might be running from God, as we said at the beginning. You, you know you're still running. And you got the message from God's word. You're not ignorant on that. It's just that right now, your choice in life is to keep running. For some of you, you're at the place of crying out. You're saying, God, please help me. I'm in trouble. I'm struggling. Forgive me. And you're wondering, am I going to get another opportunity? Am I going to get a second chance? Will the Lord still love me? Some of you, you're running with God today. And you share the testimony, much like Eric finished off this morning. When we're running with God God's blessed. Do you know that God is blessed by us? Others are blessed. Wendover Hills is blessed. Those who are distant from God are blessed when we run. How? By our obedience and by our actions. This morning, I want to take the moment to to pray for you and to to just, uh, just lift you up to God. In this morning, right where you're at, sitting there, maybe you have something in particular you just feel like, I need to just release it before God. Um, It's an incredible thing about the Word of God is you can do it right where you're at. You can just dump it on God right now, and and He'll receive it, and He wants to transform your life. I encourage you, if this morning you're looking for life change, and there's something that you have chosen not to repent of or confess before God, maybe you even need to do that to your spouse or, or to someone else, uh, this is a good morning. It's a good morning to do it. It's a good morning not to go away wondering, wondering, man, why am I not experiencing it? Let's go before God and pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the book of Jonah. And Lord, I know just if I talked personally and shared my own testimony of three weeks of studying your book, I would call it just straight out challenge. I feel like in a real way, God, that uh, you're taking me and you're, you're pushing me around. And you're saying, Tom, don't you dare get caught up on what you need to tell other people. 
You need to get caught up in what you need to be about. And so, Lord, this morning, I, I, like I asked this congregation, I come before you, Lord, and I, I confess the times I've run from you, even in these little areas that we would call little, and they're big in our walk with you. I confess those, Lord. I, I, I seek your forgiveness in those areas and ask, Lord, that you would give me the second chance, Lord. I desire to be obedient and to run with you and to receive of your life like the book of John tells us. And if you this morning, if you're like, man, that's my prayer too, just give it up. Give it up to him right now. Do a little business with him. He'll hear you. He'll hear a hundred voices at once. It's okay. Let him minister to you. Lord, hear the voices going to you this morning. And Lord, would you offer him your best? And we'll receive, Lord, and we want to walk forward in obedience, knowing that you have so much more to offer us. And Lord, we want to walk forward in obedience because you have us on a mission and a purpose here at this church and in our Christian lives. And Lord, I want to finally, I just want to pray for the one that maybe has not surrendered their life. If it's you and you're just ready to say, Jesus, forgive me, come into my life, be the Lord of my life. What would it look like just to do that this morning? Not because the pastor's pushing you, but because your heart is ready. Simply pray that prayer. Forgive me, Lord. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. In an instant, you are God's child. Lord, we thank you for all you're doing here. Keep healing marriages. Lord, would you keep healing people physically? Lord, keep building up relationships. Keep bringing people to your name. Keep doing that in our midst, and we'll give you the glory in your son's name. Amen. As I say often, if uh, there's something you need to communicate with us, if you, if you would take the time on your card on the back side and just say, hey, just pray for me, I'm going through a tough time, or, you know, today I, was, I accepted Jesus as my Savior, whatever, just communicate that on the back with us, and we would love to, we would love to connect with you on that. So I want to do uh, something uh, here that um, um, she doesn't even know I, I, I wanted to do this, but uh, I want to invite Crystal, if you wouldn't mind coming over. Um, <laughs> love it. <laughs> love it. Many of you guys know the Locklears family and know that Glenn has taken a position in Wilmington, uh, North Carolina, which we are ticked about. Um, now, we're very, uh, we're very happy that the Lord has provided for their family. Uh, and, uh, and um, you know, they, they've pretty much made the transition over. And, and uh, this, you know, this, this very well could be a week that we, we don't get to see you guys anymore. And so I really want to take the opportunity for us as a church family to pray for you guys. Would you allow that? Would you let us do that? Do you mind coming down here to the altar? And, and I want to invite you, if, uh, for whoever would like to come and join and put a hand on, on Crystal this morning, representing her family, Glenn's in Wilmington, and, uh, and would just be willing to pray uh, for her. That, that would be outstanding if you'd come. You don't have to know them to come and pray for them. That's okay. Um, but if you do that, I'd love to lead us in a prayer in that area. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this family. We thank you for their heart to, to know you and to serve you. We thank you that we've seen a heart to glorify you, Lord, and not just in word, but in action and deed. And, and I thank you, Lord, that they are a witness to who you are. We thank you that uh, in their past years that those that have lived around them, those that they've worked with, not just know that they're Christians, Lord, but they, they have known about what it is to be a Christian through their testimony. 
and through their sharing. And Lord, we thank you that you have, you have provided a, a great uh, job opportunity for Glenn. And, and we pray that you would do that as, for Crystal as she is looking at positions that you would provide in that area. Lord, for all the question marks that might go in moving to a new town and getting established, we want to pray that you would answer those questions. We want to pray that, uh, that it would be a, as easy as it can be. Lord, we definitely want to pray for a church family. We want to pray that you would plug them into a body of believers that will love them and care for them. We pray that you would plug them into a body of believers that would challenge them and inspire them to do all they, they can do in your name. Oh, we pray that you would just provide that uh, quickly, Lord, as, as it's not good for us to go long without that type of body around us. And Lord, I want to pray uh, as well, Lord, for any difficulties that might arise as, as happens in transition sometimes. Lord, I think sometimes even, even an emotional loss of, of not being as close by to friends. Lord, would you just provide it? Provide it all. Lord, I would pray that without a shadow of a doubt, the Locklear family would stand and say, we obeyed your will, Lord. And that you would confirm that. You would confirm it. Thank you that you've already done that in so many ways and you would keep doing it. Bless them, prosper them in Wilmington. And we pray, Lord, that uh, um, your glory would be shown through them. We give this to you in your son's name. Amen.